Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Facillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Uh, today, uh, we have a great conversation. We're pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Ian Murphy, and he has written a new book, the Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. And that is available at Sophia Institute Press. Some of you out there might be familiar with Dr. Murphy. Having said that, uh, just a quick bio, Dr. Ian Murphy had a stirring journey into Christianity, formerly gripped by fears and doubts about the existence of God, uh, life after death, the meaning of life. He experienced a miraculous and palpable encounter with the reality of the spiritual realm, realm that initially led him to Christ. Uh, his ministry to reach out to other doubting Thomases with the gospel unexpectedly rocketed to public attention when his valedictory speech about Jesus made headlines nationwide, inspiring a congressional law from Senator Arlen Specter, which I want to hear more about when we get into the conversation. Uh, Murphy was a pastor at a Baptist church in Texas until his decision to enter the Catholic Church. He became a professor of world religions and theology while his ministry continued through radio and television broadcast. Uh, Murphy's book, Dying to Live, From Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic, was published uh, with a forward by Dr. Scott Hahn, and an author-narrated audiobook version was released. Murphy currently resides near Charleston, South Carolina, with his wife, Rachel, and he continues to travel around the country as a popular Catholic speaker. Dr. Ian Murphy, welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you so much new book so thanks for everything you're doing and thanks for having me today absolutely like i said it really is our pleasure i mean i think it's a, as far as it goes and like i said we'll get into it the road to self-awareness a therapy book for christians uh christians could use a little christians could use, <laughs> use a little therapy right now so we're happy you wrote the book with that i'm going to hand it over to joe and we'll have a great conversation Doc, we always start with a prayer. It's our custom in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. Well, as Joe Basillo rightfully read... Dr. Murphy is living in South Carolina, but he's from Hackensack, New Jersey, people. He Love is it. a Jersey native, <laughs> which is right near my home. <clears throat> and uh, we love having him. We love all our guests, but we especially love our guests from New Jersey. I just had to throw that out there, Doc. So you, you, it's great to have you. I appreciate it. I still miss the pizza. Nowhere else gets it right. That's right. That's right. I recently moved to Arizona, and that reality hit me straight in the face. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, we do our best around here, but it's it's not quite New Jersey. So let's jump you. right in. There's a lot in your bio, even before we get into this book, that I'd like to explore. The first thing is you had an encounter with the Lord. I I, I have to ask, talk about that, because to be honest with you, when when people say things like that, it's powerful. Um, that's what converted Saint Paul. 
And to be honest with you, you're flesh and blood too. Clearly the Lord made his impact on you. Tell us about it. I appreciate the question. I started asking the God question, you know, whether or not God existed when I was very young. And I came to the conclusion that he probably did not. And I, I was not the indifferent sort of agnostic. I was the actively seeking kind. I was really troubled by the God question because I knew this much everything hinged on it. And if there was a God, then it's up to him why he made me. And does he love me? And do I meet him? Do I give an account for my life? Or if I'm just an accident, if I'm just the accidental mutated result of an explosion in outer space, then when I die someday, it's just lights out. And I won't even remember ever having existed I didn't know how to move forward. What's the point of learning in school or having relationships if it's just over and I don't even have any memory of ever having existed at all, just lights out. Uh, it terrified me. By the time I was 14 years old, I was having outright anxiety attacks about the God question. And so I said the scary prayer, I don't recommend. I said, God, if you exist, you probably don't, probably just talk into the air right now, but just in case you do, I need you to let me touch the spiritual realm for myself in order for me to come to faith. You know how they say, be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. He answered that prayer in dramatic fashion when he allowed an encounter with real spiritual warfare when I was physically attacked by a demon. This preternatural entity communicated telepathically. It told me it was there. It hated me. And it, I could tell where it was because it left this kind of hazy trace of its presence, although it was trying to be cloaked. Then I watched its presence hover above me, then descend down on me and forcibly threw me on my back. My arms locked together, my legs locked together. I am looking down at my chest, of course, terrified, but also utterly fascinated because I could see the physical compression from this thing as it slowly tried to suffocate me to death. It was like a boa constrictor. It wrapped itself around me and was slowly squeezing, wanting me to suffer. By the time I reached the point of suffocation, as a, a last-ditch effort, I prayed in my mind and heart, I, I said, to whatever's trying to crush me, go away in the name of Jesus. And at that name, this thing was gone. I, it released me so instantly. And the last communication I picked up from this thing was stark, it's stark terror at the name I had just called upon. Yeah, sweet dreams tonight, you know, but seriously, do not be scared of, of uh, demons, uh, but be fearfully reverent of the one they answer to. No, absolutely. So that, I, I, just, to, just to say, Dr. Ian Murphy, um, I, I've experienced, and, and thank God, not in the last several years, uh, especially with prayer life, living the sacramental life. I, I've said a million times, there is no doubt in my mind, it was not a delusion, okay? I was, I was attacked a lot when I was younger and when my wife and I first got married and we were living in Brooklyn, we were attacked all the time and we brought it mm -hmm. to a good priest and, and he gave us some, some, some remedies, prayers, uh, minor exorcist prayers, uh, all sorts of things that thank God they haven't occurred. But that boa constrictor feeling, um, I used to get that all the time. 
And, was, and, and in my head, I'm just saying, Jesus, please get, get this away from me. I used to experience it. It's real. It's absolutely real, especially when you're moving closer to Christ. That's when they attack mm. to try to scare the you-know-what out of you. Go ahead, Doc. Oh, just thank you for telling me that. It's nice to know I'm not alone in an experience like that. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, no, believe me. You know, uh, I think many, I think people are afraid to talk about those experiences. They think they're going to be mm -hmm. mocked. They think they say, well, that's just a delusion or that's just a psychological thing that you got going on. Well, miraculously, when I started praying the rosary, those things didn't happen anymore. So I, I think there's a causal relationship there. I don't know. Maybe I'm nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, there certainly is. Yeah, that's a, I think the experiences are more common than we realize because people are so hesitant to talk about it because of what others might think. But no, they're, you just read the gospels. They're around every corner. And, uh, and, but yeah, that kind of, that cured my agnostic doubts, you know, that, that showed me Jesus is real. He's alive. He's risen. And he literally saved my life that night. Yeah. Dr. Ian Murphy's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, we're going to, we're, we are discussing his new book, the road to self-awareness, a therapy book for Christians that is available at Sophia press. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? I want to unpack one thing you said. Uh, and I think it's important. You honestly reached out to God. You said, if you're there, basically show me. That's something mm -hmm. I've always said to people, you know, some of the greatest prayers are those type of prayers. You know, people think you have to pray to know everything or you have to be a learned person. No, that was just an honest prayer. I don't believe in you, but I'd like to. I am fully convinced. I'm convinced of this doctor. I swear that if people did that in front of the blessed sacrament, the exposed blessed sacrament, and just said the, those simple words, listen, I, I'm from New Jersey, so that's kind of how we would approach that prayer. Listen, I don't believe in you, but I want to. Could you help me? I am convinced if you did that once a week for five minutes, God, in a short amount of time, will reveal himself to you. Because scripture tells us if you knock on the door, I will reach a hand to you. That's true. And you just affirmed scripture. Amen. I can't, I can't echo that enough. Uh, he'll hear that prayer. Just be real with him. Just, uh, you know, it was sincere. It was, it was exactly what was in my heart. I got real with him and he heard and he answered. Absolutely. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you this, Dr. Ian Murphy. Uh, so when we did it, we were doing a little research on the book. Here's, here's one of the quotes we came across. Um, quote, here's the one motivational book that provides you with a comprehensive approach to true healing, not, not cheap gimmicks masquerading as an inner peace. Let me start here. Um, what are we going to be healed from? And what is true healing? Start with that. Sure. Uh, I think what are we got to be healed from needs to accompany, and that, that is a valid and, and brilliant and important question. It should be accompanied by what are we healed for? And that's part of what the self-help industry is missing today. Uh, it seems to start with the problem 
and thereby reduce people to fundamentally a problem to be fixed. And we start to, even Christians and Catholics, you know, you know, Catholic Christians specifically, will seek healing, but they'll start by defining themselves fundamentally as a problem to be fixed. But that's not fundamentally what a human being is. And that implies that sin has the upper hand. It implies that evil is the foundation. And it's not. God is the foundation. And so uh, a comprehensive approach to healing is going to look at both what we're healed from, which in a word is sin, but you know, you, you could pull in terms like dysfunction, disorder, uh, addiction. It, it takes all different forms, but it's sin, you know, the this estrangement from the God who wanted covenant with us. That's what we're saved from. But we're saved for the life, happiness, love, and transformation that he initially intended when he knit us together and, and then made possible as the Redeemer and what he did on the cross. So we're saved from sin for happiness, life abundant, a flourishing relationship with our Heavenly Father and with our neighbors. And, and that starting point, that starting with, I am fundamentally the beloved reflection of love, that the beloved is has stopped at nothing to get back, who's no respecter of persons, who would leave the whole flock to come after me. He sees you, you know, regardless how high profile you are, regardless how smart someone is or how, what titles they have. He's no respecter of persons. He sees you, and he would have died on that cross if you were the only person alive. Like, he sees you. He has the hairs in your head numbered, knows you better than you know yourself, and has plans to prosper you, plans that no eye has seen, no ear heard, no heart has even conceived these happy plans he has for you personally. He sees you, and he can't wait to show you his plans for you, and that's what healing really is about, is starting there. And it's only if we start with that knowledge that I am beloved, pursued by the hound of heaven. He's after me. I am awaited by my maker. Only if we start with that love of God do we know it is good I exist. And are we then able to confront the sin? Because to confront our dire need for redemption and just how disordered and broken we are, it's too much to even look at if we don't first know we are loved. Absolutely. Now, you, you do mention that this leads to inner peace. Now, I can hear people out there, well, what does that mean? Like, like what is, what, what, how does that practically look on a day-to-day -day basis i gotta go out and gotta go to i gotta go to work i gotta put food on the table i'm distracted by this i'm distracted by that what does duck help us out here joe and i and our audience at the veritas catholic radio network when a catholic living a sacramental life truly has inner peace briefly what does that look like that's a great question uh, peace comes from surrender it it if you are surrendered to God's will, it comes from uh, a total resignation to the divine will, a yes to God, a trust fall. Uh, 
a total surrender that when we lose our peace because we face our poverty and we face our poverty of resources it's been called in other words i don't have enough money to do this that's in front of me i don't have enough time i don't have enough people resources i don't have enough health i don't have enough relational resources i don't have enough anything to do what's in front of me that i need to do and so we lose our peace because we're overwhelmed the thing about confronting our poverty is we're confronting a truth that was always the case, is, which is that it's not our resources that are sufficient for us. It's God's grace that's sufficient for us. We were never self-sufficient. That was the original lie. That was the original sin is I will be as the almighty. I can do this on my own. No, we were never self-sufficient. We need each other and we need God. And that trust fall on the provider gets us back in the hands of a heavenly father who meets our needs, whose grace is sufficient for us. And that is how we're able, even amidst being whelmed, so to speak, not becoming overwhelmed. I mean, we have crosses to bear. Life isn't always, it, it's not all pony rides and May sunshine, as Tolkien put it so well. But we don't have to ever feel overwhelmed because he said, if you're heavily burdened, take my yoke on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I will accompany you through this valley of tears. Even in death's shadow, I will be with you. And his grace is what renders those sufferings significant, meaningful, and temporary all while we look forward to perfect happiness with this accompanying Lord forever in the world to come. He makes it all meaningful and he assures us of deliverance and he holds our hand the whole way. That's peace. It transcends human understanding. It's not a synonym for situational happiness, which as nice as that is when we taste it, uh, life goes up and down, mountaintops and valleys. I was going to say situational happiness doesn't, you know, that's just not cutting the mustard. I like the way you yeah. put that too. It's like, we don't understand that piece. I think Paul describes it as the piece that surpasses all understanding. I mean, that's, that, that's the type of piece we're looking at. Joe Resinello. I want to talk about something you said, because it struck me, that to know your love, that can't be understated. So mm. many people don't believe that. They don't. I mean, you walk down the streets in New York City, how many feet people feel invisible? Some of those people are very successful. They feel invisible. They're ignored by their spouses. They're ignored by their kids. They're not acknowledged by what they do. They feel they're insufficient. They don't measure up. Mm. But to understand what you said is a great source of power in this world irregardless of your status or position in life. I've heard people say this, unrelated people, very holy people, as in people who some are saints or some who were maybe one to will be saints. When they talk to you, you are the only person in the room. They're mm. fixated on you. That's how God is with us. But we don't mm -hmm. see things that way. We don't treat people that way. I don't. I'm distracted constantly, multitasking, <laughs> doing a million things. Um, but that is a wonderful quality 
I could remember someone telling me about the Cardinal. I didn't meet him. Someone told me this. He was the Cardinal of Paris. He was a Jewish convert, and he mm. visited a home for the missionaries of charity. And he said every person he talked to, he was completely – he said it, it stopped him in his tracks, fixated on that's a great, great quality, and that's God. Talk about that because so many people, they hear that. They're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm not loved. No one pays attention to me. I'm nobody. No, you're not. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, the, you're uh, reminding me of something Pope Benedict XVI said, which is that it's only when we know we're loved that we really know it is good that I exist. The problem is that all human acceptance is fragile. And he's so right about that. Of course, we need our neighbor. Of course, we need love of one another. But in the end, ultimately, human acceptance is fragile. He adds, it is only when a person knows they are unconditionally loved by God Almighty, who sees them like Hagar in the Old Testament, who felt like a nobody. She called him God who sees me. Uh, you said it's that's when people know it's good. I exist. It, it, it's when they know God loves them. We need to know that human love is important, but fragile. We need to know God loves us. And you said something else really, really cool. You use the phrase measure up. They feel like they don't measure up. What I like about that so much is it implies uh, a canon. You know, the word canon, it means measuring stick. It's where we get the name of the canon of the New Testament, for example, is that's our measuring stick. Thing is, Satan has a measuring stick, too. And it's based on fame, being high profile, how many people know who you are, how pretty you are, how smart you are, how well-liked you are, popularity, numbers, wealth, money. And so people hold themselves and their worth up to his measuring stick, which is a lie. It's just a total lie because God's no respecter of persons. He loves every person infinitely and individually. But so that sticks a lie. But people, he, Satan just whacks people around with it. They say, well, I'm not as pretty. I'm not as rich. I'm not as high profile. I'm not as important. So I don't measure up. Therefore, I'm worth less than this other individual. I'm worthless. I'm worthless. And there's the lie. And anyone getting beaten up by that measuring stick, just you don't have to listen to that one more second. It was always a lie. God's measuring stick is he is after you, pursuing you, and you are individually seen and irreplaceably precious to the living God. Absolutely. Dr. Ian Murphy is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book out from Sophia Press, The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. Doc, let's talk about reality for a second. It seems like that's a naughty, naughty word nowadays when you use like reality, <laughs> what really is, okay, what, what you could see with your eyes, okay? That's all being deconstructed, okay? Because now we could define ourselves and the universe however we want. It seems... And if you don't buy into that, there's something wrong with you. In the meantime, for all, for all of human history, somebody who took that view, you might look and say, I think there's something wrong with you. So obviously you mentioned lies. Well, the truth has become lies now, and lies have become the truth. Um, and we see that every day. How has modern society deconstructed reality and basically put blinders over our eyes? 
Oh man, it's everything you said, a giant amen. I am nodding profusely to what you said. I feel so understood right now. Uh, it, I, I take it back to the Enlightenment. Of course, it goes back further. We see this problem of deconstructionism as far back as the Tower of Babel, which kind of sets the standard for human arrogance, turning it into a bunch of chaos. But this, in our own day and age, we can look at how that phenomenon has happened in the Enlightenment, which is an ironic word, because when it comes to how deconstructed the Enlightenment made the different fields of, of academics, it, it was more like the instupidment. It's a, almost like that period made people stupid. Doc, I got to cut you off just for a second. I just want to mention sure. thing to you, just for the record. I've said a million times, I don't allow people to call uh, late antiquity, let's say, the dark ages, because if you want the dark ages, the enlightenment provided enough <laughs> darkness in the world. But again, the atheists use it to say, well, when the Catholic Church reigned over Europe, that was the dark ages. But then we had the enlightenment. But go ahead, Doc. I cut you off. I wanted to throw a zing at our atheist friends out there. Go ahead. Uh, and a giant amen to what I was saying. Thank you. I, I, I liken the enlightenment period, which, again, I, in, in this sense, I think it's the instupidment, actually, to a kid who takes apart his toy fire truck to better understand how it works. And at first, he's fascinated by the ladder for reaching the heights and the hose for putting out the fire. But it, after a while, he gets arrogant. This enhanced understanding of the constituent mechanisms of his toy makes him feel like he's mastered the toy. And this emergent disdain kicks in. Familiarity breeds contempt. He starts to feel prideful, arrogant, like he's mastered the toy. He even, in total irrationality, fancies himself the toy maker. So he goes around disillusioning other kids how to take their toy fire truck apart. And, and they take it apart further, the rungs of the ladder, the rubber of the wheels. And at least they agree in making fun of that third group of kids that thinks the red paint is most important for making the truck pretty because the paint has nothing to do with functionality. You got the, the artist people and then the engineering people. And this is what happens. Theology splits from philosophy, even though they ask the same question. Science splits from religion, which makes no sense if you think about it. They're just studying the same reality. It would be like saying, do you believe in the paint? Or do you believe in the artist? That, that's a broken question. That makes no sense. But that's how people think of it. They think sure. of it as science versus religion. And all these children have in the end is a broken toy. It's the Tower of Babel all over again. It, they forgot to put psychology, anthropology, biology back together again as, as the whole of reality that it is. So in, it ends up deconstructed, and after you deconstruct it, you compartmentalize it. And all these things are happening on islands that don't talk to each other and compete with each other, even though they're all parts of the same body. Uh, and then after this compartmentalization, you get reductionism with people confusing one slice of bread for the whole loaf. And they've just lost a whole unified picture of the creation. 
You know what? After the way you describe it, Doctor Ian Murphy, then it's no wonder why you know people need therapy <laughs> when yeah. you know when you when you look at it that way. And you know what? That's one of the things. And we're going to take a break real quick. But that's one of the things that's always bothered me is that you know it's always that atheist line. I I don't need when you mention God. I don't need that hypothesis. Yes, you do. Just because you could describe how atoms operate in the universe or how the planets move and all of that, okay, you can't get past the creator. <laughs> That's why they avoid exactly. metaphysical questions, by the way. That's why people like Richard Dawkins avoid metaphysical questions. He says, we don't have to answer those. Yes, you do, Professor Dawkins. If you don't answer those, I don't listen to you because you have to, you have to deal with <laughs> metaphysics before you can get to physics. Dr. Ian Murphy, that's my little diatribe. Now, the new book, The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians is available at Sophia Press. Uh, Dr. Ian Murphy, uh, aside from the publisher, and we always uh, it suggest to our audience, please support our publishers to buy your book. Where else is the book available? They could get it at my own website and check out my ministry and what I do, parish missions, retreats, that kind of thing, or just tell me what they want me to pray for. I will break a sweat praying for them. DrIanMurphy.com, D-R-I-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y. DrIanMurphy.com. If they order the book from my website, I'll happily autograph uh, the, their copy before I ship it. And again, of course, they can get it from Sophia, and they could get uh, my first book from Ignatius, or they could get either one from my website, DrIanMurphy.com. All right, let's take a quick break. We have Dr. Ian Murphy discussing his new book. We have another great segment coming up. Stick around. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way, way, way in the breach with Dr. Ian Murphy. We're discussing his new book available at Sophia Press, The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. Joe, this has been a great conversation so far. Let's keep it going. Doc, I want to talk about self-help books because I think they're quick to uh, identify a problem. I think it's easy to identify a problem. Um but it's hard to basically solve a problem. And it's like like New Year's Day. Everybody has a resolution. Everyone knows that they may have this problem or that problem. It could be a million things, but they don't execute. And the missing thing I think a lot of these self-help books have is grace because grace helps mm. us to overcome. And it's real. And I don't think people think it's real. I really don't. Like they think like when you talk about grace, you're talking about like unicorns and fairy tales. No, grace is real. Like how does a priest be celibate? How? Like many people could say like that's impossible. They're not celibate. No, there are people who live celibate lives. That's a grace. How does a married man stay faithful to his wife? That's a grace. There's many things that God basically gives us through grace that elevates our nature. And that is the difference between a self-help book and the Catholic faith. Talk about that, because I think people like sometimes they read a book and they're like, wow, there's so much good stuff in here, but I can't do it. 
Well, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And, and that's what this book is trying to do. It's trying to be that step-by-step -step accompaniment to get people not just unstuck from whatever has them stuck, from toxic relationships to misspent energy to uh, addictions, get them unstuck, but also propel them forward toward that happiness God has for them. It's that step-by-step, -step, how do I connect A to B? It takes them there. You know, simply for the record, there are good therapists out there, excellent caregivers. My hat's off to them. God bless them. We need them now more than ever. The reason we need them so much is because the majority of the whole self-help industry today is dangerously misguided. And they don't have a complete anthropology. They seek to heal the human person, but they don't even know what a human person is because they've left God out of the picture. So they don't understand fully what the human person is. Uh, they've literally left the counselor, the Holy Spirit, out of counseling. And so they neglect the necessity, the reality of grace. It becomes the Pelagian error that we're capable of saving ourselves. And that's how you get these sound bites, these empty gimmicks, you know, these cheap gimmicks that just don't work. You know, because they've left God out of the picture, they don't have a complete anthropology. And so when you put God back in the picture, which is what my approach does, you get a more complete anthropology, a more complete version of the human person, and therefore a more holistic approach to healing the person, body, soul, and spirit. And now to directly answer your question, what you come right into is the reality and necessity grace. We actually need the help of the one who created us. Imagine that. And that help is available. You know, it's that ultimately what we're cured from is that original lie that I will be as the almighty, that insanity. You know, it, interestingly, the words neurosis and psychosis both refer to some degree of breaking with reality, either a, a partial break or a distortion of reality as a neurosis or a, a, a complete break with reality as a psychotic episode. A lot of today's therapies, because they're incomplete, don't have a full picture of lost the unity of reality or the reductionist, compartmentalized, deconstructed. Because of those issues, they don't cohere with reality. And their approaches to healing are ironically keeping people sick. Approaches to healing are keeping people trapped in the very dysfunction that needs to be cured. No, we need God. We need grace. And we can't do it on our own strength. Dr. Ian Murphy, let me ask you a question. Let me, st let me stay on that for a second, okay? But you're, but you're dealing with people, take, take it, keep it with America, all right? And mm -hmm. the whole psychological you know psychological profession all right they don't have a need for god they and again i know it's a blanket statement okay they don't see god they don't see god as part of the problem so a lot of it and and, and the where i'm going with this is these are people that will convince you and you're talking about reality and truth that well it's just you do you or or you determine reality for yourself that can't possibly lead to any sort of objective healing. Assuming, of course, the person acknowledges they need healing, okay, which I assume they would. That's what leads them to therapy. 
But if you're but if you're denying reality and you're denying truth, how on God's green earth are you going to actually help someone to heal? Because because you're 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 denying the objective. You, you see where I'm going with that, Doctor Murphy? Exactly. In fact, uh, uh, just to help the uh, theory come alive, I think a real world example will will illustrate perfectly what you're talking about. There was a university that answered the uh, needs of its students at some of their most vulnerable moments by having its counseling office supply free condoms. They supplied free condoms. That was their answer to help the students. Now you have this sanctioned hookup culture sanctioned by the university as an organization from its counseling office. Well, if psychology was talking to biology, I mean, I can make this case just because reality is objective. I can make this case without ever picking up the Bible or any other sacred church document. You can just talk to any clinician who knows anything about the hormones that are released in the brain, the bonding hormones that are released after sexual intercourse, and what happens in the hookup culture when those bonding hormones have been released through a first encounter sexual intercourse, and then that relationship is torn asunder. It's proven because of those bonding hormones that are released, it's proven that those breakups create depression, lifelong wounds, trauma, even suicidal inclinations. Again, anyone who rejects the Christian revelation can still see clear evidence of its objective truth in these clinical studies. And so how does the university respond to the trauma, the heartbreak, and the suicidal depression that happened in the sanctioned hookup culture? By supplying antidepressants. They literally threw a pill at the situation. And while a pill may alleviate pain or treat a symptom, it could never heal the broken students. And this is, a, or you've got therapists, alleged therapists out there advising struggling married couples to view pornography together. If you look at clinical studies, they prove that pornography has the effect on the human brain the same as an addictive opioid. They're literally prescribing adultery and habit forming opioids to heal a a marriage, they just destroyed that marriage right. twofold with adultery and drugs. If they just talked to genetics, if they talked to biology, this is the chaos we're in. But yeah, that objective reality, it's clinically observable. But that's why, but that's why they try, and I'm gonna hand it over to Joe, but that's why they try to, to stifle people like yourself, okay? They try to silence us, people like Joe and I, when we say, no, 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 no. The Catholic worldview. All right, which includes our obviously Catholic teaching on sexuality, on psychology, okay, and different different disorders that people have. All right, is always correct, okay, is always mm -hmm. correct because mm -hmm. we diagnose the problems correctly, and our solution is not, well, here, go out and have sex. Doesn't really matter. You don't have to bond with the person, and then when you're and then when you're screwed up after that, what do they do? And it's what Joe and I say on the show all the time. Their view of freedom is. Sex and drugs, sex and drugs. That's what that's what they're all about. Um, I, go ahead, Doc. I cut you off. You were going to say something. 
Oh, no, I'm just agreeing profusely. You can keep going. I love what you're saying. Well, no, I don't want to take up too much time from Joe Rasinello, uh, because I know we we have a limited amount of time. We want to get to a few other questions. But the book uh, is The Road to Self-Awareness, the therapy book for Christians. That's available at Sophia Press. And Dr. Ian Murphy is the author. He's joining us here today. Joe Rasinello. You were talking about reality. And what was coming to my mind is God is reality. And this is something that the modern world can't grasp. God is reality. Like I've lived, you know, as a young man, I wasn't a practicing Catholic. I was Catholic. I'm Italian. We eat macaroni on Sunday. We go to church. It's part of the deal. Um, but I, I, I didn't live and breathe the faith. I came into that in my twenties. So I've learned cause I've seen it without the reality and with the reality, God is reality. And when people turn their back on God to get theological, you commit a mortal sin, and we cut our relationship with God when we sin mortally. Our, our faith teaches us that. Something inside of a person breaks, and I could notice it when I talk to people. People I talk to, I have all types of friends, not just religious friends, people I work with, people I've met, people I know who are living disordered lives. They're still my friends, but something is broken in them and it's tangible. And then you'll talk to someone, I'll just pick a school, we talk to a lot of people from it, and it's not heaven on earth, but say you meet a, a 20 year old from Franciscan University who's like going to adoration, going to confession, praying the rosary, and their eyes are lit up and there's joy in their voice and they're happy, and it's tangible. They don't even have to tell you they're happy. You look at that kid, and then you meet somebody at work who's a managing director, makes $800,000 a year. You're in the elevator, and you're like, oh my gosh, just talking to this person is oppressive. This person is clearly not right because they broke from God. That's You talk about a reality. That's reality. But yet people don't acknowledge that reality. Talk about that, because God is reality. It, that is absolutely right. It's so observable, as you said. It's just that the light that is given off by someone who is growing in virtue and the brokenness emanated by people who are trying to do it on their own and don't know they're loved. And, and that God-shaped void, that God-shaped hole is not being filled by the right one. And But they're still trying to fill it because that's how they were created, can't avoid that objective reality. So they're looking for love in all the wrong places and filling that hole with the wrong things. And how's that working for you? It obviously isn't. The popularity of the whole self-help industry bears witness to this widespread spiritual hunger. People are starving, or these books wouldn't be flying off the shelves. They wouldn't, there wouldn't be such popularity for people like Dr. Phil. You know, that why the popular? Because people are starving spiritually. But then when they hear that they have to repent, if they hear that they're not God, they, the pride viscerally reacts that, no, I want to call the shots. I want to play God. I will be as the almighty. And then they're back to, but how's that working for you? So they're back to the brokenness. They don't have the grace to heal them. They stay broken. So they go searching for love in the wrong places. Their lives get more broken and they, and another failed gimmick fails them. 
And yet, as soon as they come to the answer, what rears up is, I want to play God. You know, to answer that whole issue with, you know, people who reject reality by rejecting God, whatever worldview they have, they have faith. Like even the atheist has faith, especially the atheist has faith, because you can't prove a negative. You know, they, they can't prove there's no transcendence. They can't prove that material reality is the only reality. They can't pr- prove that th- there's no higher being in existence that created that. No, they take it on faith. Every worldview, every, every person has a worldview they, that's taken on faith. They have a value system that they take on faith. And the people who don't adhere to it, they call wrong. And the people who do adhere to it, they call right, and they take it on faith, and they have a worldview and an ideology they take on faith. And here's the point. Someone or something in that worldview, in that framework, in that sense-making ideology, someone or something is playing the role of God, and it's usually the individual. And what evidence do they have that they write reality? that I should acknowledge that they're God. What if I want to self-identify as a tax-exempt foreigner at tax season? Do you think the government would celebrate that? But that's how insane people they are. I can be whatever species I want, whatever age I want, whatever gender I want. And objective reality is just being lost. Again, they don't cohere with reality. And so it's quite literally insane. All right. It's a break with reality. Dr. Ian Murphy, let me stay there. Let me ask you a question. I think there's a lot of people out there, and I, I don't say this in a negative way, just the, re- the reality is a lot of people don't know. They're, they're ignorant on a lot of the things that we're talking about, okay? They accept too many things on faith without going and maybe do their own research. And then on the other hand, which you just alluded to, all right, you have the ignorant and then you have the irrational, Yes, because because obviously when you're dealing with um, I love picking on atheists on the show uh, to me, they're irrational because they try they 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 hammer that that what they're saying is true, while at the same time they deny or reject the idea of objective truth. Now, so you have ignorance, you have irrationality, but we have the Holy Spirit. So please talk to our audience about how powerful it is to have the Holy Spirit as your ally to combat ignorance and irrationality. Amen. I mean, we, again, let's put the counselor, the Holy Spirit is called the counselor. Let's put the counselor back in counseling so that our counsel is coming from the best source it possibly could come from, the one who made us, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. I don't know the number of hairs on my head, but he does. He knows me better than I know myself. And if my counsel is coming from the almighty, that's going to take me well, infinitely further than my own ignorant, limited, and it, admittedly distorted understanding can. Like anybody can look in hindsight and see a time in their life when what they thought was a good road to go down was the stupidest thing they could have done. Like anyone can admit like that girl that they were once crazy about or that guy they were once crazy about turned into a train wreck relationship said how could i have ever thought that was a good idea i at the time it seemed like a good idea at the time right but what i know now i was wrong 
Any humble person, any repentant person can look and see that there's times in their lives when they're wrong. And so self-reliance doesn't make any sense. Self-reliance is fundamentally irrational because every person can already admit they're capable of being completely incorrect on something they think is good. So what's the answer? We need the other. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to humble ourselves, admit our need, and accept the daily accompaniment, the love, the forgiveness, the, the care, the guidance, the promptings, the surprises, the sense of humor of our advocate and friend, the Lord with us. We can do nothing without, I've heard it put like driving through life. It's like you imagine you're driving a car and the whole front windshield is tarred out completely black. And yet you're trying to drive forward. All you have is your rear view mirror. You know, they say hindsight's 2020. You're going through life, you have your rear view mirror. You can see, oh, I hit that pothole, crashed into the back, that building and drove off that cliff. But based on looking behind, you're trying to drive forward and you can't see ahead. You can't see the future. So it almost feels like, you know, what an unfair situation, but it's not unfair because we're not supposed to be driving the car alone. We have a co-pilot and we're supposed to surrender the wheel to him. That's the whole point. We, we were never self-sufficient in the first place. And the more we hand over the wheel, the more we're going to heal. How much, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but very briefly, Dr. Ian Murphy, how much of a problem is living life always in the past? Because I know for me, I, I, I mean, the devil reminds me of my past. Um, and, but I was told, I guess, by a, a good Catholic uh, that I read somewhere, just remind him of his future, and you don't have a problem with that. Uh, but no, he, he haunts me but by my past. But I have, obviously, we live a sacramental life. We pray, we go to Mass, receive Jesus in the Eucharist. So I might be reminded temporarily of things I did in the past, but I'm not living looking at that rearview mirror as you described. And the importance of breaking oh, breaking out of that. It seems if we need therapy for anything, it's one of the main things is to just you know, convince our brothers and sisters the past is the past. And if Amen. it's hurtful and, 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 and it led you down a bad road, well, start moving forward. Don't preoccupy yourself so much with, with the past. Brief comment on that, Doc, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe for probably one more question. We all need to hear what Jesus said to Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus, come forth, be unbound, come forth, come out of the tomb and be unbound, come out of your past. All things are new. Uh, you mentioned sacramentality, you're right on the money. It's been called, I forget by whom, but the saints have called it the sacrament of the present moment because it's the present moment where we encounter God. That's why the enemy wants to hijack us with worries about our future and accusations from our past to pull us out of the place where we encounter the Lord, which is right now. Absolutely. Dr. Ian Murphy joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, his new book, The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. Please go out. You can buy it at DrIanMurphy.com, um, which he will sign for you if you do, or you can buy it at Sophia Press. Joe Resinello. You know, I want to talk about healing more, and I also want to talk about what you mentioned about turning your life over, i.e. giving the wheel to God, which terrifies people. 
It's a terrifying mm. thought. But healing, if you ask me, begins with a sacramental confession, and that terrifies people. People don't want to mm. do it. I can remember being in New York City, the door of a church open, and one nun I was outside was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and people are milling by. And I thought to myself for a moment, and I said, all these people have problems. We all have problems. Many of them are wounded. Many. Even very successful people are wounded people. Mm. You're one confession away. Mm. It's one confession away, a tangible encounter with God. Your life changes. It's free. It's free. Mm. And we just keep walking by that door. And I think I've said this to my wife, the tragedy of that in this world, how God has enabled his creation with all the tools to live an abundant life. And we walk past them and it doesn't cost a dime. Talk about that reality because people need healings, Doc. I'll tell you, there are so many wounded people. Some of the most successful people in the world are wounded. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Catholics don't have good news because we're all sorted out. Catholics have good news because we're aware we're sick and we need the great physician. And better yet, we're aware that in the Eucharist, especially, this is the fulfillment of Passover under the blood of the lamb. We are washed white as snow and we are transformed. You know, my, my definition of healing is God's repairing of the loving image that truly defines human beings. And we are one prayer away, one confession away. You're so right. There's, there's, he's, he's a dad. He, Jesus reveals God as Abba, the, the daddy is what that translates to of the prodigal son who just waits on the porch, leaps off the porch when his son takes one step toward home, runs the rest of the distance, catches him, holds him in his arms and says, don't you do that to me, and carries him the rest of the way home and throws a feast. One step, God's direction, and that's how he's going to respond to you. And whatever it was, he's a dad. It's nothing he hasn't seen. He's a father. He's seen it all. Nothing's going to scare him. There's nothing he hasn't seen before. He'll take our sins, and he will cast them as far as the east is from the west. East goes infinitely east. West goes infinitely west. Two infinities away from each other is the imagery here. You know, two infinities away. He just, he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and then he puts up a sign that says no fishing you're one confession away from true freedom and the grace that will get you unstuck and get you on the road toward that happiness that your heart can't even conceive of but dr ian murphy but that requires the necessary component for contrition and and to go to confession it requires humility it also mm -hmm. requires you to confront yourself to look in the mirror now i can tell you from personal experience that's an ugly sight okay given, given where i was 
for most of my adult life. Mm. It's, it's not pleasant when, when you have to actually look at yourself in the mirror. And I think that's a, that's a major obstacle for a lot of people. Okay. Cause I'm not judging anybody who has a hard time going to confession. Uh, but I'm with Joe on that. Once you come to that realization through the grace of the Holy spirit, you're going to go running for confession. You're going to say, yeah. I know there's only one way out of this. Jesus says, give me your sins. Okay. And, and in, in the Catholic church, we, we go to confession. Doc, one minute left, quick comment on that. And then also where people could buy your book and learn more about you. Sure. I've heard it said confession is the hardest thing a person can do. It's also the easiest. It's, it's a letting go. It's a letting go. And when you let go again, it, then nothing could keep you from it. And it goes back just full circle that the key to healing is to start with you are irreplaceably precious, beloved, the image of love himself who gave everything to know you. And that love is the grounding of healing. And it is when somebody knows it is good they exist. God loves them. God sees you. He sees you. You're irreplaceably precious to him. When somebody knows that, that's what makes them able to confront themselves because they know they're loved. They know they're loved. Well, yeah, that's come a, check that's out. That's a great message. That it really is, you know, to help people. Go ahead, Doc. Uh, they can uh, find out more about our ministry, uh, drianmurphy.com, and it will say it all. And again, get in touch, even if it's just with a prayer request. Uh, I'll break a sweat praying for you. It's a big part of what our ministry does. And uh, again, this book, it, it is, it's going to give you the baby steps, the baby steps that, you know, that will accompany you. Uh, it tells the story about how I lost over 100 pounds. It's a story from my own messy brokenness. It's not the story from someone who's got it all figured out of how I lost a century of weight, one baby step at a time after one failed diet after the next, because I met the Holy Spirit who loves me madly. Dr. Ian Murphy, thank you so much for joining us here at the Frontline with Joe. Joe, you are welcome back on this show anytime, our brother. Uh, if you had half as much fun as I did, this was a win. <laughs> this was a blast. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends so you have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, you can find us all over the place on social media. We're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, follow, do all that fun stuff. Help us out. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.